Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. Whether you live in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world, you know that Palestinians have been getting a really raw deal. We hear about it in the news, but sometimes we have to dig a little deeper than the mainstream media to find out what's really going on over there. And frankly, most people would rather, oh, I don't know, watch a movie. Well, my next guest is tapping into this human desire to be entertained, to get people's attention. And I'm so happy to be introducing her to you. She's a Palestinian-British filmmaker. Her latest project is a short film called The Present. It's been shortlisted for the 2021 Oscars. And I have a feeling you're going to want to remember her name. Please welcome. Farah Nabulsi. Farah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the present. Um, it's such a good movie, by the way. It's a very simple story, but it really captures so much of what life is like for Palestinians. Um, It's a story of a man who lives in the West Bank and needs to cross at an Israeli checkpoint, uh, as it happens every day over there, to go buy a present for his wife on their wedding anniversary. And then what happens? Oh, are we ruining the film for everyone? <laughs> um, then what happens? Well, you know what? It's a, like you said, it's a simple task. But when you're transported to this world of 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 occupation, military occupation and checkpoints and roadblocks and soldiers. It's it's not as simple as, as we would think or hope. The actor Sally Bakir is really good, by the way, and he's kind of cute, too. <laughs> Yeah, so Salah Bakri, he's a, he's a seasoned actor. Um, he's been in a lot of uh, very well-known, successful feature films. Um, so he's a brilliant actor, very seasoned actor. So it was it was me who was who was, you know, honored in the sense that he wanted to play the role of Yusuf in this film. Um, he was drawn uh, to the simplicity of the story, and to to the intention. I mean, it's, he's Palestinian. He understood at his depth, his root, what, what this was about. And um, so I was very, very lucky to, to have Saleh come on board. Um, I kept picturing him as Yusuf, our protagonist, as I was writing the story. And then when I was co-writing the script with uh, filmmaker Hin Shofani, uh, she asked me at one point, you know, who do you who do you picture as Yusuf? And I told her it's Saleh Bakri, the actor Saleh Bakri. And she happened to know him, which was amazing. It was like the world conspired. And she said to me, oh, I, I know him. Let me introduce you. And so she did. And then we, you know, I sent over the script and and he liked it and he, he, was, he was on board. So... Yeah, and yes, yes, he is. He's a good-looking man, and uh, um, but uh, you know, beyond that, he is a brilliant actor. I, I consider him one of the best actors in Arab independent cinema, to be honest. I mean, you feel for the character, and the way he gets treated by these Israeli soldiers makes zero sense. I mean, I don't want to give it all away, as we said, um, so people will watch the film. But that scene when he tries to get back home at the end of the movie, uh, with the gift that he bought. Basically, he, he, they just strip away all his dignity as a human being. And what's really crazy is that 
you're so upset for the character, you know, it's a movie, but this is happening for real for thousands of people every single day in Palestine, right? Exactly, exactly. So really at its essence, this film um, obviously addresses the basic human right of freedom of movement, but it's it's about dignity. It's about it's about the importance of human dignity. And And, and what that can do, you know, when to someone or an entire nation, actually, when that's when that's stripped away. And so while we're zooming in on this individual, he is he is very symbolic and reflective of, of you know, entire people whose dignity is stripped away from them day in and day out, um, even with the most simple or mundane of tasks. Um, And and really, yeah, the film has this kind of build up to that moment where you know how much can someone take? You know how 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 far can you push someone, control someone, dehumanize someone without them flipping out? You know. So we know that your movies are based on reality. Um, people are routinely getting stopped at checkpoints and put into cages for no apparent reason. So how difficult is it shooting a movie in Palestine? Have you ever been stopped or arrested? Is it Do you face <laughs> a lot of challenges? Yeah. So so first, it's what's interesting is actually the present is the first one that I filmed in Palestine. Today, they took my son. We filmed in Lebanon. Um, Oceans of Injustice and Nightmare of Gaza are Are, um, much more abstract um, experimental films. So they didn't actually require, you know, to, to, to be in that topography or that, that uh, set backdrop, if you like. Or, um, so they weren't filmed in, in Palestine either. So the present is the first one that I filmed in Palestine. And it was, it was one of the most amazing experiences, you know, in, in so many ways. Um, And by amazing, I mean good and bad, <laughs> you know? Um, you have to deal with things on a film set or making a film anywhere in the world that are stressful and, and, and you know, time constrained and budget constrained and um, logistically constrained and, and it drives you nuts. So now throw into that, into the mix, yes, a military occupation and, you know, being in a place where, you know, You, you could technically be shut down at any time. You can have your footage confiscated, your equipment confiscated. And, but you also have to be, you know, as wise as you can be in, in terms of how you film there, where you film there. For example, I found some wonderful locations on Reki that made much more sense to film at than some locations we ended up filming at. But they were in zones, you know, B and C, Um, so in the West Bank, um, the Israeli military have zoned the West Bank into areas A, B, and C. And A would be the more the city centers where they kind of tend to leave alone, if you like, but they can always come in any time and put them under curfew. And But um, areas B and C have a lot more control, a lot more checkpoints, a lot more, you know what I mean? So, you, you know, you have to choose, okay, you know, let's be pragmatic. Where are we going to shoot and so forth? And of course, all the different cast and crew have different permits and, 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 and that can mean delays and people having to go through various checkpoints and those kind of things. Now, I'm really grateful that we didn't have any major problems um, and um, we did stick to the sort of area A zones. Um, the two kind of interesting things that did happen was that A, when we did build our checkpoint set, um, 
I'm glad to say it was authentic enough that all the Palestinians in the area actually thought it was a real checkpoint. <laughs> so, so it's a bit messed up, but um, I had to sort of send people out to tell tell sort of indigenous people, you know, hey, this isn't real. This is this is for a film, you know, which I felt bad about. But on the other hand, I was pleased that the checkpoint was that authentic. And um, and scene two of the film, uh, which is a different checkpoint. That is not a set. Um, that is a real checkpoint. That is checkpoint 300 in Bethlehem. It's a very infamous checkpoint. It's the scene where there's thousands of Palestinians going through. And I felt so strongly about filming there. Um, a, you know, budget-wise and authenticity-wise, I just didn't want to try and replicate it. I wanted to film the real one. So that was very nerve-wracking because we were the only... The only fiction in that scene is our protagonist, is our actor Saleh Bekri, um, you know, stuck amongst thousands of, of, of real life Palestinians going to work, being treated in the most inhumane, undignified way. And, um, you know, we, we went in with two cameras. We didn't bring any, any lighting because we didn't want to attract attention to ourselves. Um, the military, the Israeli military was around the corner. We knew up until what point we could kind of film without coming into their line of vision, if you like. Um, we had a whole kind of script of, oh, what are we going to say if, you know, <laughs> if they come and ask us what we're doing? And, um, and again, thankfully, that went smoothly enough. Um, and, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, we, we, I mean, the night before I couldn't sleep and I went down to that checkpoint. Um, I left my hotel and I kind of walked down to see what was going on at that checkpoint, sort of a last minute recce, a personal private one. It was about three in the morning and I noticed there were no lights. Like all of these people were, were piled up in, in this kind of, I think, I think cattle in battery farms are treated with more dignity and it was just dark the bulbs had all gone out. And I thought, oh God, if we don't have lights, we're just going to have shadows here. And thankfully, I called up um, the sort of fixer and he said, don't worry, leave it with me. And he got bulbs and he climbed up and he put the bulbs before shoot the next day. And all the Palestinians there were just really grateful for, to, to have light, you know, that they weren't just queuing in this darkness. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of the sort of stories of what happened. Yeah, that scene is so upsetting um, to see people treated basically, like you said, herded like sheep, thousands of sheep and climbing up, trying to get ahead and waiting for hours just to go do basic things. But but that scene, there's an angle where it looks like you're standing over the crowd of people. Did you guys climb on a wall or I would imagine it was a bit of a nerve wracking experience. Yeah, you know what it was? It was as we filmed, we got bolder and bolder. Like we were there for a good three hours, four hours. You know, we got there at something like 2.30 in the morning, three in the morning. And, you know, already there was a crowd, but the crowd started to build more and more and more. And we almost, so many people, um, you know, we were, we were somewhat camouflaged, if you like. I was the, I was the, the odd one out in the sense that, you know, I'm a, a light haired blonde sort of female, you know, and it was um, European looking in many ways. And I would pop out and I would direct and then I'd go and kind of get behind a wall again so that I wasn't attracting, you know, too much attention to myself. Um, and as as we were filming, we just got bolder and bolder. We, we got more gutsy. And so I turned to Benoit Chamilad, the DOP, and I'd be like, Benoit, do, do you think you could 
kind of climb up there a bit and you know he'd do it and then I turned to Saul and I said can you get in the crowd right there and he's okay you know and and then there was another DOP um uh, he was a focus puller, Ashraf, um, but he, he he's also a DOP and he had the other camera. I said, you know, Ashraf, can you, you know, so, you know, they got more gutsy and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that because we got some great footage um, and it's almost like I wanted to make one short documentary just about that checkpoint because we got such great footage. But uh, but no, I had to stay focused, of course. Well, I'm glad you did because it's a really nice uh, story that really uh, exemplifies the feelings that that people have about living this way, you know. So this film has gotten already many accolades from film organizations around the world. Uh, it's been shortlisted for the Oscars. Congratulations, by the way, that's very exciting. Also by BAFTA, the British Film Awards. Um, so obviously there's an interest in your film, an interest in this topic. People are celebrating um, your work. They're touched by the stories you're telling. But do you ever worry that people watch your movies and then the audience just walks away and nothing has changed? No, no, I don't. I don't worry about that. No, I, I, I think that at the essence of all of us um, as human beings, and let's just assume, you know, the, that I'm seeing the more positive and optimistic side of, of the, of human nature is that when, when you tell a story um, that touches people, in their hearts, you know, that can draw that empathy uh, in, in, a, in a way where they can understand and they can kind of, you know, uh, reflect and contemplate and um, then they will, they will welcome those stories. They will even award them, you know, they, they, they so, you know, you see the reactions, you've mentioned the accolades and the shortlistings and, and that tells me that audiences and juries across the world are appreciating the story, the work, the art, the meaning, um, the acting, the 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 essence of of what I'm 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 telling, I'm uh, expressing, and I don't think you walk away from things like that. I don't. I, I think you you are left contemplating. At least that's the feedback I get. That's you know from people who've said, yeah, I you know, I I even researched after I saw your film, or I um I, I contemplated your film even days after I'd seen it, or um, you know, um, and that's what I want. Um, and that seems to be the impact it's having. So, I I make I. I believe I believe film is is one of the most powerful means of of meaningful human communication, and so if you make a film that can do that, that can give people this emotional experience and communicate something, then that's it. My job is done in that sense. Do you know what I mean? It's um, and you know if people decide to be indifferent. Okay, that's a decision they make. But I think a lot of people. You know, certain seeds have been have been laid. I think people do contemplate and and think and and hopefully that contributes. You know, I'm not saying that okay, my film <laughs> somehow makes a massive change in one huge go, um, but you're contributing to raising the global social conscience. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. We all know um, that what's going on there is unacceptable. We see the news reports, the news stories. Activists have protested against the occupation for many years now. 
this is kind of a political question, but you've you live in London, you've traveled all around the world. Why do you think that the world has allowed this to go on? I think that most people actually don't really, really know or understand the situation and what's been going on for the last few decades, to be honest. Most people, average Joes around the world, they they hear those sound bites and things like that, but they, they don't really know that what we're talking about is the, you know, the ideological birth mother of the state of Israel is a colonial settler enterprise and you know, colonial settlement uh, or settler colonialism is, is the worst form of, 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 of colonization because it involves ethnic cleansing and so forth. People don't know that. They don't get that. Um, so there's that aspect, which is, I think it's really important to, to inform and educate and so that more and more people understand it. But I also think another reason this has been allowed to go on for so long and on such a scale, even though Palestinians have truth and right and international law on their side, is because not enough people empathize. So, and I don't mean sympathize, I mean empathize. Not enough people, um, you know, place themselves into the shoes of, of Palestinians um, to understand what it is that they have been going through and continue to go through day in and day out um, on every level. Um, and I think that maybe uh, that's also because we have not necessarily engaged them uh, enough or to such an extent um, that would garner that empathy. Um, And, you know, in many ways, that's why I, I got into filmmaking, because I, I, I kind of felt that there was a bit of a gap uh, with international audiences, with the international population of like, do, do, they, do they not feel enough with us? Because, I, you know, studies have shown that even if you show people absolute factual truths and proofs that contradict something that they've repeatedly been told or made to believe, um, Not only do they stick to their beliefs, but sometimes they, they become even more um, uh, intractable, you know. And, and But same studies have shown that if you can address people through their hearts um, and, 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 and bring them to empathize, um, not only do they become, you know, more willing to understand, um, but sometimes they even change their point of view. So it's really addressing their hearts that I think is really important. And then you can access their minds. Right. And I think that public opinion is very important. And that's where your work comes in. And and I love what you're doing with that. But then there's this whole other legal aspect to what they're doing. Um, and the International Criminal Court, in fact, I'm sure you know, recently ruled that Israel may finally be investigated for alleged war crimes Um, war of crimes against humanity committed uh, in the West Bank, East Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip um, over years and years. Um, so when you talk about empathy, yes, there's empathy. But as I said, I don't know if people and as you said, I don't know if people realize that the the actions that they are taking, um, that the Israeli government are taking and how they contradict Uh, any civility that that world leaders have agreed to um, from a legal perspective. So if the Israeli government or some of its leaders are eventually accused of crimes against humanity or war crimes, do you envision that eventually they could be tried in the same way maybe that the Nazis were? 
I think we're I think we're a long way off from that. Um, but I think I think in many ways this is um, you know I don't know where it's eventually going to lead. It's just a very uh, powerful and symbolic in many ways moment in time where the International Criminal Court has finally said you are not above the law, and um, and it has left them. Um, freaking out a bit um, in the sense that, okay, hold on, from a pragmatic level, does that mean we can travel? Does that mean, we, you know, it's, 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 it's this idea of, of Israel, similar to apartheid South Africa, uh, becoming more and more a pariah state, you know, where the rest of the world community um, puts that pressure on for them to recognize you can't continue in the way that you have been doing um, and, and, and makes them kind of you know, think again, think twice before they brag about, you know, sending Gaza back into the Middle Ages, for example, or the next time a soldier decides to be trigger happy, uh, you know, at a protester, um, uh, you know, they think for a second, hey, wait a second, maybe we're not as, uh, you know, the impunity we've had for so long maybe is not going to last as long as we thought it would or hoped it would. Um, so I, I think from that perspective, it's important. It's important for them to suddenly realize, okay, things are scaling up. Because as you said, public opinion, the world, in my opinion, is changing. Um, we are in the 21st century here. And uh, with, with, with technology and social media and transatlantic media and so forth, the truth is showing itself, you know, it's coming out of the woodworks. And so we can no longer, um, they can no longer hide behind um, just mainstream media, if you like, uh, for the for the people in the world to kind of understand and know what's going on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think this is a great move in the right direction. The reason they have had all of this impunity, of course, and they're still hiding behind that and it's still being provided to them is because of the diplomatic immunity and diplomatic support um, and military support and financial support that the, the USA is giving and has been providing for decades. That is why they have been, if you like, above the law um, when it comes to also all the United Nations resolutions and investigations and so forth. So, it's about time is all I can say. Um, I don't know if it'll end up as you described, you know, that's, uh, I think we're a long way off from that, but we're certainly going in the right direction. Right. Well, when it comes to justice, no one should be uh, immune, especially as citizens of this world. But you brought up a good point. The U.S. actually gave $3.3 billion in what it calls security assistance, quote unquote, um, and 500 million for U.S.-Israel missile defense cooperation, you'd think that they could put conditions on these funds, like, we'll help you develop this drone technology, for example, but you can't be shooting at Palestinian fishermen's boats for no good reason. You can't be shooting at people who are unarmed on a routine basis. Um, it's, it's odd to think that they keep funding this criminal activity. If you look at it, again, from a legal perspective, if there was to be a legal case. Um, I mean, someone who's an accessory by funding, the U.S. is very quick to, to suggest that if you contribute to certain political organizations in this part of the world while well, you're funding a terrorist group. Well, if it's shown that the Israeli government has acted in a criminal manner 
and the U.S. is supporting this uh, with this huge support, where does that put them in the le- from a legal perspective? And, and I'm talking about, obviously, not the country as a whole, but the individuals who are making these decisions, who have made public statements. Many have made public statements about the questionable legality of of the way they, they treat uh, people and enforce their laws. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and I think when it comes to public opinion, what, your work is certainly um, engaging and uh, useful in helping people to empathize, as you said, and to shape uh, public opinion. So I'm really excited for you. And um, I, I love the movie. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Thank you so much. Farina Boussi, thank you for coming on the show. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. That's it for now. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe so you know when a new episode comes out. See you next time, my friends.